0: Susan Patel is on a mission. She's the co-founder of a curry paste company and loves nothing more than hearing that ding on the Shopify website. I mean, seriously, who doesn't? That little ding is total dopamine in a sound. But what she really wants to do is shift Kiwi's perceptions about Indian food. The idea many of us have of Indian food is an easy takeaway curry with food that wouldn't be most Indians' normal everyday food. Those curries are rich and often served with a naan bread. More often than not, there's a mild buttered chicken somewhere in that stack of curries sitting there on the table, ready to be demolished. Person wants our yeah. understanding of Indian cooking to move past takeaway foods and make it about the rich flavors, aromas, and tastes that she experiences every day as an Indian living in New Zealand. Much of her marketing is based around education of what sort of food she eats and how she makes it possible to cook it all while running Dolly Mama and working full-time in another position and raising a young family. I mean, she is a powerhouse. In pursuit of helping Kiwis become informed, Person's now a food writer for the spin-off, sharing the stories of her own learnings around food and how she had to learn to cook after she got married, trying to impress her mother-in-law in India. I'm lucky enough to work with Person as part of my content coaching program. I'm often floored at how much time and energy she puts into creating all the stuff that she needs to for Dolly Mama around everything else that she does too. If anyone can turn New Zealand into a country where butter chicken and naan takes a backseat to homemade curry with a roti, it's Person. Enjoy this episode learning how Person's marketing her small business and what she's got planned for it in the future. Welcome, this is Mippet Marketing and I'm your host, Rachel Claver. I love helping small business owners become more confident and more capable with their marketing. So this podcast is all here to help you do just that. It's me and the help of some great guests helping you learn new skills, new strategies and ideas. Let's jump in and get started. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Mappet Marketing. I am your host, Rachel Claver, and we're talking today to one of my favorite people. I will just say, I did say this in the intro, but she literally is one of the hardest working people I've ever met. And her capacity to increase her knowledge and desire to learn and then apply it is just Out of this world i mean she's younger than me um so i'm just banking on that as the reason why she's doing it so well but she has young kids and she's got a full-time job and we're going to talk a little bit about how she does that juggle um around the stuff but um i'm really excited to have um person patel on our podcast today i keep on saying our it's my podcast i don't know why i've decided that i'm a multiple personality today before we started this i said to um person and we will do this talking about myself so I apologize in advance if I refer to myself as we all the way through this podcast. I don't know what's going on with my head. Anyway, um, so Persa's going to come and introduce herself before, but before she does, if you do have any questions coming out of this podcast today, do come and be part of the Muppet Marketing Group on Facebook. You can ask any marketing questions in there. And of course, if you enjoy this, this podcast, please do listen to some other episodes to see if you keep on enjoying it. And if you do, I would love it if you could share it with someone else that you think would enjoy it. because that helps this podcast keep going with viewer numbers and things like that Listen numbers it makes it easier anyway without further ado person welcome to the show Thank you so much for having me rachel um, it's gonna be lovely and i will just say because i get into trouble because some people, people sometimes think that i'm just using this as a major advertorial for my entire life um i do i have actually got your products um and they are beautiful <laughs> so you know if you guys are on the fence let me just say they are pretty good i will just admit i haven't cooked with them. my daughter has because she loves indian food um, and it means i have one who's cooking night a week so i'm very thankful for them <laughs>
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: Do <laughs> you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself and also how Dolly Mama came about?
1: Sure. So, I guess when people ask me how to describe myself, I don't know what the correct answer is. So, depending on how I'm feeling that day, I'll describe myself as an Indian, as a Kiwi, or as a Persian because my ancestors were from Persia. But, um, you know, I've spent equal parts of my life in both New Zealand and in in India. And I first came to New Zealand as a teenager at 15. Um, And before i came to new zealand i don't think i'd ever eaten butter chicken but i had more butter chicken in my life between 15 (laughs) and 22 than i ever have in my whole life all all of my 15 years in india before that (laughs) Um, but then for a brief period of time, I moved back to India, fell in love with Indian food there. And then um, we started my by we, I mean, my husband and I, we started this business in 2020 when we had just moved back home, home to New Zealand um, with our kids. Yeah. So when I came back, I realized that people's understanding of international cuisine had changed so much, you know, when we now originally in 2002 people would talk about like if we were talking about Chinese food they would just have like noodles and fried rice but now they knew what Vietnamese was what Thai was what Malaysian was but unfortunately when it came to Indian food I just felt like we were kind of stuck in some kind of time warp because even though this was kind of 18 years after the first time I came here we were still just talking about butter chicken, tikka masala, mango chicken. And, um, you know, while none of these dishes are actually even like a thing in India. So I really wanted to start this business because I felt like when I came back, you know, people would keep going to me. Oh yeah, you're Indian. I'm making curry tonight. And that would really annoy me. (laughs) And I know it annoys a lot of my Indian friends. But I realized that like someone has to do something about it. You can't just kind of, keep yeah. getting annoyed. And if you wanted to do something, it had to also be easy because mm-hmm. you cannot expect people to you know, change their behaviors if it is not easy for them to do it. So yeah, I guess it was a culmination of all that frustration, plus the fact that as someone who works full time, I had to come up with kind of curry pace to make my life easy as well. So it was kind of these two problems uh, joining together, which uh, led me to the idea of Dolly Mama.
0: And... I really love that. I actually, um, I'll just say, my mum, she's a cook. She she's a she does food writing too, and um, she she actually used to do a thing where she'd choose a cuisine a year, and that's all we'd eat. And one year we did Indian, and we didn't have a single butter chicken during that time um my little kiwi palette she used to do things pretty hot my dad liked pretty hot curries and so i would be like "Uh," and then she'd make like dry things and other bits and pieces and not just but she would just walk through like a traditional indian cookbook and just basically do all the different things you know and i was considered so weird at school like i think i think it is interesting like how we, are, we don't realize the filter, especially until we go traveling, the filters of our own idea of what a, an ethnicity is, and we have a Kiwi Kiwi dyes. oh if we put up we put, um, put down Americans for their Americanized stuff, but Kiwis have done exactly the same thing where we've dyes a whole lot of different ethnic flavors or cultures really, and then made them some sort of Kiwi form of it do you think?
1: Yeah 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 I think so by the way I love the idea of kind of a whole year of one cuisine that is so
0: cool. It was great except for the year where she did like a whole year of making bread different breads every day like she was going through like a five kg thing of flour a week and because she had like a ten, tennis elbow and she'd been a potter and she couldn't do her pottery so she was using the bread as a release we all put on so much weight because like <laughs> I mean it was the happiest year I've ever had. <laughs> But yeah, she would do, She and she was considered odd because we had like Mexican flavors and Indian flavors and Asian flavors and everywhere else around me, you know, because I'm 50, their idea of ethnic was spaghetti bolognese and they thought that was cutting edge and like I was like dude you have to come to our house like it's not we're having like weird way out stuff here." yeah <laughs> but it's kind of cool it is kind of cool so but with, I just yeah. um
1: sorry I wanted to tell you though that what yeah. you picked up around that the school lunch boxes you know you said that yes. um, your friends used to kind of think that was really weird and that was one of like the key reasons I started because obviously my kids Have come to new zealand like you know when they're just two and three and i didn't want them to go through that same thing like because i when i moved here my mom you know would pack me yeah like indian leftover stuff uh, in my school lunchbox and i remember growing um like kind of ending up in a place where i was so ashamed of my indian heritage because i just wanted to fit in and i'd have these like yuck yuck ham sandwiches which i absolutely hate only because i wanted to fit in and that led to so much of like me hating my cuisine and so I really didn't want that for my kids and so yeah that's like the kind of bigger version for why we started.
0: So let's just talk about that because I am deeply curious about that you know Rod my husband's Dutch and he used to take smoked herrings to school which I I I'm half Dutch too I think that's disgusting you know but he loves he loved it and he likes smelly food Um, but what is like let's let's just break this down a bit because one of the things I found really fascinating watching some of your content was I had to shift my idea around Indian breads. It was like just a little thing. But like, you know, people when they order bread, they order a naan. But actually, day to day, if you're having bread, you tend to have a roti. Is that right? Yes. Yes. that's, That's quite a big difference.
1: That is such a big difference because we would only have naan in India if we went out as well or if we yes. were ordering out as well. Like no one's sitting around at home making naan. With the naan, tandoor. <laughs> or With the little tandoor. <laughs> getting the tandoor at home, getting their naan in there. <laughs> this is like, you know, that just reminds me of um, when I went to McLean's and someone asked me, oh, did you used to go to school on an elephant? And I was just like, <laughs> it's like um, no, I lived in Mumbai. <laughs> like you know." <laughs>
0: There's not enough room for everyone to park their elephant outside the school. <laughs> <laughs> so, what would you eat? Like, what would your kids take to, like, when they were in a child and then also and primary? What sort of food would they take?
1: So like I am trying to diversify their palates, but you know, like, so we all have like a potato subsea, which is just potatoes that have been stir fried with mustard wow. seeds and cumin seeds and things like that. You know, so it, it is like roasted potatoes, but yeah, it's like it's Indian flavor. potatoes. And yeah. um, other kids might bring sandwiches. I like to give them like, you know, rotis um, that have just been wrapped up with some little vegetables inside with cheese and things like that. So it's just kind of the small touches, but I want them to, you know, just be embraced for that and not be made to feel like less than because it's different, you know?
0: I um, I went to my daughter's prize giving last night and I actually cried. I haven't admitted this to my husband who was sitting next to me, but um, it was a cultural and arts prize giving and we live in a very European white area. And so the cultural group, there's an amazing Kapahaka group, but the Pacific Island group's very, very small. And there's one guy in the Pacific Island group and he got up and did a solo um dance which was tremendously beautiful by himself on the stage because there's no one else no other male in his culture at the whole school and I was like how amazing is this guy to stand in his culture and not only that share it with us and show us what it's like which is what you actually are doing in lots of ways with your kids our little ambassadors really You know, and you go, how powerful is that? And then I was like, and I'm so thankful that our world is changing. It's not changed enough, but it's changing that we can actually start to really value and understand all those levels of culture is what is really important to us. Yeah. And I think that's one of the powerful things about what you're doing is by trying to make us break up with butter chicken, not permanently, but just as an everyday curry, um, you're helping us see another layer you know and Mm. and one of the things that really struck me with your writing around this which I want to ask you about is I think the thing that struck me is I actually made this racist assumption I think it's racist that all Indian women got taught how to cook (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) because
0: I've read something like that and I was like this is part of the history you know you go and do everything and you have these things you learn but was that true for you
1: no, that was really <laughs> not true. Well, it's it's even worse because I went to uni I went to university and I studied hospitality. So you would think oh, that I would yeah, okay. So you would think that I, I knew how to cook Indian food, but um yeah, when I was in New Zealand, I think because I went through that phase in uh, college, I've really been kind of ashamed of my food. I just really did not want to learn anything to do with Indian food. But I mean, I didn't learn how to cook. So I learned how to make rice and mm-hmm. like I was always the kind of continental chef. So I'd always make the pasta at home and the nachos at home and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I never wanted to learn Indian food. And um, in fact, and I guess it's just uh kismet that then I met this really typical Indian guy. I moved to India to live with my in-laws and then I was like oh my god I don't know how to cook any Indian food
0: because in I correct me if I'm wrong but in Indian culture that whole cooking side is quite important especially with um although it's breaking down so I know your husband also cooks so I know that it's breaking down but traditionally there's been that role hasn't there the expectation
1: yeah, yeah, I think it is changing in India as well. But yeah. that expectation continues. And I guess it's partly because, you know, um, Indian men are kind of treated like they're direct descendants of God. Mm-hmm. We all are, yeah. actually. Yeah. But, you know, Indian men <laughs> are just like another category. <laughs> they truly <totally laughs> believe it. They live <laughs> <believe> in it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, I guess it's taking a while to change. But that does mean that, you know, if you uh, get married and especially if you're like living with your in-laws there's that expectation that you know you'd be cooking and mm. um or at least you'd know how to cook so yeah. I, I I got lucky um I lived in a place where I mean I lived in a home where we did have a cook who would come but I still didn't even know how to cook like the basics so you know
0: <laughs> and I totally relate to this because I was when I first my first marriage I, I was living in a really conservative um Christian sort of not community like a community like a cult but like in an area with a bunch of and the whole thing there was your house had to be immaculate you had to fill your tins and you know you cooked everything from scratch and I was I'm the income earner, I'm floaty, I don't want to keep my house tidy. And I so struggled, I felt so penned in with this expectation that was suddenly given to me because I've suddenly become a wife. Mm. So I can under I can understand there's like it was it's kind of cool when you're in that situation, you're learning those skills, but there's also this kind of I can feel sometimes there's this a rigid thing around it as well yeah I think for me at that
1: time I guess because I was newly married it was not that rigidity but for me it was just I was really um because I didn't even know my way around like the Indian ingredients or anything like that you know so I'd go to the um I go to the shop and I'd ask for like chickpeas. But in India, chickpeas are not served in a tin. You actually get the dried chickpeas. But I'd never seen dried chickpeas in my life. And so, you know, I'd call mom and be like, but well, these guys don't understand what chickpeas is. Like, how do I explain what chickpeas is? <laughs>
0: so it was stuff like that,
1: you yeah. know, because especially because I was moving back from New Zealand to India. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I can imagine. And I think, is there, Do you feel like this is part of you also, like the the pace that you've made, are they quite strong and true to what you would have, if you were making pace in India, what you would do there, or have have you changed them for a Kiwi palette? Um,
1: I don't think we've changed them for a kiwi palette. What we have done is we've just tried to make them super versatile. So to give you an example, when we originally started um, Dolly Mama, we only started with three products, which was my grandmom's curry. We did a ghee and we did like an Indian everyday paste, which kind of makes your basic kind of, you can, it's like the pasta sauce of India. It's like the basic stuff that is always there. But um, I realized very soon that if we wanted to grow, we had to cook have products that people were at least kind of semi-familiar with yeah. because if they had, if there was zero familiarity then that journey to educate was much harder so we've not adapted our product like it tastes exactly like it would taste but you know I've had to kind of um, give up my ideals of like no more butter chicken to like be like okay we'll have a tandoori paste and we'll have like a korma because people know what that is but then you know we've taken those things that they know and really packed in the traditional flavor so when you have that and you have like a normal supermarket coma you're like oh that's not the real thing now i can understand it yeah
0: which is clever it is interesting though that you've done that you've done that kind of accession um to people having to, (laughs) to to have something that's more familiar but you have held out when it comes to butter chicken yes it's and that's a struggle
1: run. that's that's yeah. a struggle for me because um you know like my husband goes to the farmer's markets and he'll come back and be like you know 10 people asked me like oh don't you have a butter chicken paste and like why don't we just make it you know you can make it so that it's authentic but you know it would like really increase our sales and I'm just like no we are not making butter chicken because I think for me I mean yes that's part of our story but for me my i don't like the beyond butter chicken is not really like a tagline it's really for me like the values of our yeah. company you know like you speak in your book about like yeah. like how you use your values and i really use it as like a decision making thing so for me it's like that is part of my value and we will not like sell butter chicken because if we want to educate people um yeah i don't want
0: to <laughs> and what i like about this is that you have done the right it's hard when you've got a line But, but actually to get to that line, you have to soften the approach, you don't have to fall over and give them everything someone wants, so you don't have to do the butter chicken, but you've softened it with the korma, with the Saguala, with the tandoori paste, you've, you've brought people, you can still bring people on that journey. Yeah. Get to the next point of, it because one of the things I think that I found really interesting about your paste is that, The natural inclination is to just buy the korma one, for example, and then just use it for a korma. So what you say, and this is what I am still trying to get my head around, is that Indian food isn't just curry. Like this is where I can see that I've got some blocks. Indian food isn't the curry. It's about the flavors that we use in all of our cooking for everything. And so it's not just a curry. It might be in a dip or it could be spread on bread. it's just about adding that flavor that depth of flavor in those spices is that right yeah
1: yeah yeah and I guess it's similar to when we started with like say Japanese food you know people were like oh Japanese I'll go have sushi or like Mexican I'll go have nachos but like you know Mexicans about like the flavors of like those earthy flavors like cumin and coriander and things Mm. like that and so that's what I want for people to do with indian food as well like and i really okay. want you to embrace like the the cool flavors and the techniques and then you can go do whatever it is you do with it so um you know on our blog we've got like you can use the korma paste on a rack of lamb and so make you know something that that's very familiar to you but just like you know ditch the salt and pepper <laughs> try okay. these amazing other flavors yeah
0: Yeah, I I really find this interesting because I think about that with sushi. Um, I remember when the place I used to live in was a place called Rangiora, which is not like it's a beautiful town. I I loved living there, but I remember when the first sushi place opened. I also remember when the first Indian restaurant opened there too, and it was big news because they had like kiwi curries and then they had actual curries, and they used to say divide it. But one of the things I found was really interesting was it was a big deal for some people to eat raw fish, whereas. To me that's like that is sushi you know and people are like oh i'll only eat sushi if it's a round roll with cooked chicken in it you know mm-hmm. so i do think i can see with that kind of thing of going like introducing something's really important but it is taking people to that next step of understanding all the things that they could be yeah. doing for. yeah and, and so with dolly mama like i we we will talk i want to talk to you a little bit about how you're juggling things because i find that really fascinating. But in terms of um, the business itself, you said that you launched it in 2020 and you did mention before uh, markets. Was markets always on the plan for you? Like, was that always part of your growth strategy? So when I started this business, I was really lucky because I went through the kitchen project, which is
1: this Auckland Council food incubator, and they really kind of helped us. And um, the main thing they helped me do was get my food license. But um, I remember at that time they were like, you know. you'll need to go like this will be really useful if you want to do farmers markets and I was really against that because I was like no I don't want to do farmers markets we're just going to have an online shop and you know we'll be like in all the countdowns in six months And obviously this is me being very ambitious
0: (laughs) it sounds (laughs) amazing though (laughs) I I, I
1: lean towards optimism (laughs) and um my mentor there was like you know what don't discount farmers markets just go try them they're a great place to get that face-to-face feedback so for me it was always like okay we'll do this thing from a feedback perspective we'll try it out and see what people are telling us at the Mm markets but what we fast found was you know selling online is really not that easy. The Shopify guys tell you, oh, set up your store in two Mm. minutes. What they mean is you set up your account. Your store (laughs) is not going to get done in two minutes. Mm. And yeah, so that makes life. I just realized really quickly that the online part was going to be something that I had to slowly build out. Mm. And so what happened was that the traditional farmer's markets became like our bread and butter business Mm. And they have been really great from like a brand building perspective.
0: Yeah, because I think um, I think back on like the first time I ever tried Pix Peanut Butter was in a market, and he grew his entire business by getting people to sell his product at markets. Well, nationwide, like he just gets someone on a dinky little table, card table often with some Pix, Pix Peanut Butter, and I and I do think like the people I've talked to who've grown beyond markets and have quite a big following. All of them started with a market because it is that thing where you get the amazing feedback. You can explain why you don't do butter chicken, you can build those relationships and you get those regulars. who just love seeing you every time they need to come get a paste.
1: Yeah. And like what we found was when we originally started the markets, people were really wary. Like, you know, they were like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to have spicy food at eight in the morning. But all we now focus on in the markets And I heard this on a podcast, which I think flipped the switch for me, was like, my goal at the market was not to sell. My goal at the market was to get people to taste the product, Mm. because that is something that you cannot do in a supermarket. And so when we switched our focus to being like, my goal today is there's 500 people here, and I want to make sure that at least 300 people taste the paste, and then we'll let the product do the talking. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, yeah. I really love this because I do think it's really hard to switch off the selling desire when you're at a market because you're conscious you're using your time and you want to get sales right yeah and and actually what you've done is flick that switch which probably has made it easier in your content marketing to also flick that tr- switch and trust it too Would it have yes been
1: right yeah I think so yeah it's very I, I know again with e-commerce the traditional kind of ex- thing is uh, just set up Facebook ads and just start going. And, you know, I really held back because I've heard these really horror stories about people wasting heaps of money on Facebook ads, unfortunately,
0: and agencies and things like yeah, that. They can get, um, I, Look, I'm not a fan of it for, for startups, to be honest. We often really discourage people who are startups to use Facebook ads because what we want to do is get you to have people have a familiarity with your brand and what you do. So markets do that. Yeah and markets do that and and this idea that this Shopify site like we've got a Shopify site too and you know I'm always like oh there hasn't been many sales and then I'm like when was the last time I talked about the stuff on that Shopify site you know like <laughs> and I'm like oh you know and then I'll see I'll mention something and suddenly it's like ding 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 and I'm like well this is the problem right we get this idea that we set up this website and it's just going to magically generate stuff and 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 like you like even with us, knowing how to do Facebook ads, they're really expensive when the product is unknown or the person's unknown. So, you know, I love that you've done the markets and I think it does work really well. In terms of like moving forward with with Dolly Mama, like, can you see them maintain, are you still going to do the markets? Do you think that that's going to be a long-term strategy for you?
1: Yeah, so I, I definitely think it will because I'll tell you why, you know, we I've gone through this whole phase of when I started the business. If you asked me what was the future of Dolly Mama, I would have told you, you know, we wanted to be PETEX like 2.0, you know, like Petex got Indian food into people's pantry and now we wanted to kind of change it. And that was for a really long time my goal. But then I realized that, you know, that comes with its own um cost areas to the business yeah. yeah like we'd have to kind of like double remortgage our house to even yeah. be able to afford it and um, the supermarket wholesale game is like a whole other game Um, most people say that to even launch an FMCG you need uh, at least $150,000 to launch and yeah. I started my business with like $500 so I was just That's like amazing, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah but I just I guess I came to terms with the fact that Um, there's more than one way of doing a business and having a successful business and so I don't think at this point the supermarket path is for us and we've really recommitted ourselves to selling direct to the customer however that is so I think farmers markets will continue to play a part we want to eventually be in more farmers markets um once we get people on that kind of education journey Mm. a little bit more, because for us it's always a struggle to find because I work full time who's gonna go to the markets. Yeah so I'm waiting for my kids to grow up so that they can become my little employees. Yeah exactly (laughs) and because I
0: think I think what I really love about that is you know I have interviewed a lot of people who are FMCG in this in this um podcast and by the way someone asked me the other day what that means fmcg stands for fast moving consumer goods things you'd find in a supermarket or a pharmacy um things that move off the shelves fast and i think that um you know people i've talked to the only way that people have grown is if they have decided i'm going to have external investment which changes your potential you might then get a shareholder who goes look i know you said beyond butter chicken but we need that butter chicken in there baby you know like it's like and then you'd fire them for calling your baby because that's you know <laughs> but but like they i do think that there's a choice and both choices are equally as valid
1: yeah and i think we we saw that so for a brief time we were stopped at Ferro fresh mm-hmm. and i love that experience i was so grateful to have been inside Ferro fresh mm-hmm. but it was a huge learning experience for me that um even then as a small business and pharaohs are very respectful of the artisans and the businesses that they deal with but i could start to see that we had to make all these kind of trade-offs um where you know we were like oh do you want to put more preservatives in so that it can extend the shelf life of the product Um, or your product's not really moving in the chilled aisle Mm -hmm. because people look for Indian products in the Indian aisle but you know I really saw myself as being kind of some yeah so we really didn't want to compromise on the product Mm -hmm. and which is why we ultimately said that we'd kind of stick to our guns and and we'll see how that how that game plays out.
0: Well, I love it. I think it's. I think it's good. I think it's good to stick to your guns until you feel like you need to change. I think yeah thing. Um, and so one of the things I was going to ask you about this is obviously one of the things you've managed to achieve, which is amazing. So person is a gifted. I'm speaking to you guys, audio you people now listening. Um, now, but person is a really gifted writer, and she's. I'm really lucky that I get to work with her. Um, but truly, you know, in terms of her writing, there's nothing much I can really actually teach her because she's she tells a beautiful story and. Um, person, you now are a columnist for the spin-off. And I know that part of the joy for you is that from that from talking to you in the past is that whole thing about how so many writers about different ethnic foods are not of that ethnicity.
1: Yes, that's a big one. And just before I came on this podcast, I don't know why someone sent me a link to fifteen dollar fakeaways, and that one had a butter chicken in it, which does not have (laughs) like eight of the ingredients that you'd put in a classic butter chicken. Oh no, and it's got got tomato sauce inside. I was gonna say, I bet it's
0: got tomato sauce in it. Like it will just be revolting.
1: It was just, I read the ingredients
0: and
1: I was like, oh, I don't want to eat that.
0: You should <laughs> but, make it for a video. You should make it and then like the way that it smells. Yeah, that is the thing though, isn't it? Is that it's so powerful to have someone who's actually a cook in that culture, who understands the culture behind that recipe, talking yeah. about the recipe
1: yeah I think it's it's really important because you really need that you know like you were saying before that we tend to be in our own little kind of we have our versions or our ideas of what an ethnicity is and I think that that's what food writing is right like it's about exploring another culture through food and if you're going to do that I feel like you do need to give that person a chance to, I mean, at least if they exist, like, okay, yeah. if we lived in this kind of place where no, there was no Indians at all in, in New Zealand, then, like, yeah, sure, get someone else to write. But there's so many other talented food writers within a specific um, culture, mm-hmm. or, you know, they're like, like me, they're kind of like Indian Kiwi. So you kind of have a, a foot in both the mm-hmm. worlds. So, yeah, why not give people of those cultures a t- a chance to kind of talk about their cuisine um so that's one but i think my other pet peeve um and i mentioned this on linkedin this week was also a lot of people have this perception like i just want to get to the recipe so i don't want to read all the
0: (laughs) i saw your comment i was like go you (laughs) person
1: i was trying to be really respectful because i really love notion um but you know someone over there referred to all the bits at the top of the recipe as like the fluff like I just want to get to the recipe but then that's what happens because if you've not read the fluff which gives you the context to the dish and explains why you do something or explains the technique to you then you do these things where like okay I'll just put like tomato sauce instead of that and you know how it's not going to change anything and I guess I'm more cognizant of that because I've been there very recently you know, when I learned how to cook Indian food, I was right there. I was like, oh, I'll just like swap this thing for this thing. It's not going to make a difference. I'll put fenugreek seeds instead of leaves. But they're actually two completely different ingredients. And you need that context to understand. Yeah.
0: And I think that's the thing that's quite beautiful. I quite like reading that. I mean, if it's pages, I find it a bit tricky. But I always love reading the pre blue because I feel like I'm getting an insight to why that person felt it was really important to choose that that recipe to share with me um i'm going to ask you i, I ask these questions sometimes that go a little bit off track and, and i sometimes i ask i ask this question of someone else um on a previous podcast um and he, he was like a bit taken aback and then it like, he said i was really glad it was actually um um sam and he's an accountant and he's from malaysia and i asked him about racism in new zealand because one of the things i find really fascinating i'm not going to talk about racism here necessarily what well, might move into that but like the Indian community in New Zealand is actually really big. Yeah, there's really about 300,000 of us. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like they're really underrepresented in New Zealand. Do you yeah. think so? I think um
1: at least when it comes in the media mm. most definitely um and especially also in like the food space but then i also feel like part of that is our problem so i'll t- i'll give you an example you know um every indian i meet we all like we'll got a cafe and we will snigger if we see like turmeric latte on it we'll be like ha ha, ha ha like look at these people they put turmeric latte on there you know and but i feel like And maybe this is a wrong perception to have, but I feel like it's on us to also like build that bridge. Because if we don't make that step, and we don't kind of share like, hey, actually, you know, this, uh, this is a thing that people in India have been having for 1000s of years. And let me show you the real way of making it, you know, by the way, it's not turmeric latte, it's this, Um, then you're creating a dialogue, Mm -hmm. and you're allowing that person to truly understand uh, why you're kind of getting all riled up inside if that makes yeah. sense no I, do. I get it
0: because I do think I also think that I, I understand it a bit from the fact my parent like my mum's Dutch and the Dutch have done a very good job of any country they've come into of just acclimatizing themselves so much that you can't even tell that they were Dutch like they just dropped their culture and one of the things I really love about Rod is that his mum and dad didn't do that. So I've got quite a Dutch New Zealander as a partner in terms of things that he likes. And he, he came to school with the smelly hearings. But I, it is interesting to me because I do think that part of this is that we do box up a culture around the foods we see or, you know, we've got, we start now it's understanding Diwali, it's a festival of lights, and it's all lovely, but not really understanding what it's for, for example, which is a huge, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've just, you just had it just said yes yes
1: Diwali just gone
0: yeah yeah And, and and that's a massive time of the year for you but most Kiwis probably wouldn't really understand what it's all about
1: yeah yeah they would just see it as this thing like okay yeah there's an IOTA square there's some dancing and there's fireworks and in fact I just wrote a piece for the spin-off this uh, weekend which was a Diwali without fireworks because I, I grew up celebrating Diwali completely without fireworks and I used to think that was a complete bore until <laughs> you know it's one of those it's one of those classic actually my mom was right stories
0: (laughs) yeah, because she was actually teaching you the real reason why Diwali was actually around yeah yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) so so with with Dolly Mama like tell me besides the spin-off like what are some challenges or things that you really enjoyed either way around marketing for Dolly Mama besides so you've got your markets um I know and I'm just going to talk about this because I'm going to Skype for you because it was something that I suggested you do. So I'm also skyting for myself. But one of the things I told you to do was to email your list more and share. And you did an amazing thing, which I'm just going to tell everyone else to do, because you worked ahead and write a lot of those emails in advance so that you wouldn't get overloaded.
1: Yeah, that was just such a brilliant learning. I mean, I've I've always known the theory of it, but I guess having the opportunity to work with you in the content master web you know, coaching yeah. was that, I had that accountability and like, I told you that I was going to do it. So then I had to go do
0: it, but that's what you do. You just go and do it, which is amazing.
1: Yes, I think I I respond well to external accountability. I learned <laughs> that about myself. So what I try I? to like
0: <laughs> and external pressure and external rewards when someone says well done, I also like that as well. Doesn't it yes. take much? So, so but how are you juggling this? Because you've got young children and a full-time job. You are incredibly well read. You've done the alt MBA this year with Seth Godin which is iconic. You've done pretty much every opportunity that you've, you've been able to get your hands into, you've taken it all in. When do you sleep and (laughs) how do you manage this?
1: I guess um I mean well firstly I'm very lucky because I have family to support me so I have my um, my husband works in the business full-time so he looks after all the production of the pace and so that's really helped us because when I started the business I used to kind of do all the production he'd go to the farmers markets because we were both working full-time at that time mm. and then we really decided that no this is what we wanted to do so he kind of quit his job and uh, so now he manages the production which is amazing amazing because this guy doesn't even know how to cook rice and here he is cooking all of our product
0: (laughs) that is amazing oh actually before you say that can you just tell me how you cook rice because people are going to be shocked
1: Yes. So the easiest way to cook (laughs) rice is to just put it like pasta in a giant pot of water with like excess water and just salt it. And then when exactly like pasta, when the grain is cooked, you just drain it all out. And if you actually drain out all the water, all the starch that's in the rice, which is what dietitians and nutritionists tell you is the unhealthy part of rice Mm -hmm. that actually comes out. And so you get these beautiful fluffy grains. And that means you can have as much rice as you like there we go for one. That's how you cook
0: rice the Indian way. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, so what's I mean, it's amazing. So so you've got him helping, and then you do the marketing, plus you do the writing. Yeah, so I think yeah. having that having that division, and we only did that,
1: I think uh, late last year, but that really kind of helped me focus. and so so my focus, moving now and moving forward is we make x amounts from the market how can we get that same amount online so you know we're kind of spreading out our risk and developing this other source of revenue but realizing at the same time that marketing is a long game like you know you can't can't, and especially content marketing um, it's not like you can like go write a piece and all the money is going to come in so having that segregation has really helped because now I don't have to worry about like producing the food. And so that's helped me kind of work on the business while he works in the business, so to speak.
0: That's a great Um, combo. It works. Wow
1: yeah yeah and I think he has zero interest anyways in kind of all the new products and things like that Mm -hmm. and we balance each other out quite well because he's the you know the scrooge of the business like we're not spending Mm -hmm. anything I I have to submit a business case for like (laughs) if if I want to spend like a $40 software like why do we need it how is it going to improve how much sales are we going to get blah 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 and I'm
0: I was going to, I should actually, I shouldn't tell you because I like you this. listen, I'm used to keeping secrets, but I've just like created a little surprise for you guys. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I had to like create like a big long plan of why it was justifiable for me to give you guys a treat. <laughs> <laughs> It was like it was like you know well explain to me why we would do this like because I'm just like well because it's a cool thing but I had to give them actual reasons business reasons yes but what that helps
1: is um I'm really grateful for it and on the flip side like while while I find it really annoying day to day it does mean that our businesses kind of really lean yeah. and we're only spending the money where we need to spend because you know in India I had another catering business which um had all the it looked successful we had a kitchen we had staff and all of that kind of things but I was not happy because I was not making as much money um, as I'd hoped to be making and actually that is like you say often that's actually kind of the core cool reason why you get into yeah, the business it is. So to make money. Heavier,
0: it's really weird we often forget that the reason we are in the business is to make money and it's okay to make money. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why, so especially with women, their businesses, why it's such a big mindset thing that it's actually okay to even say out loud, I want to make money. And we've got a great phrase which I'm gonna to give to you now, person, which is earn more, work less. Yes. I don't know. When I think that it's, will it's a great
1: phrase.
0: So you think <laughs> yes,
1: yes. So yeah, I think the juggle is always going to be a juggle and I don't quite yeah. know how I make it work but um, I'm a big systems girl mm-hmm. and I think that that really helps me I've got my entire business kind of all the SLPs done everything set up inside mm-hmm. Notion and you know I'd really kind of keep a track of everything so Notion that then I beautiful. can
0: <laughs> yeah, I should do I should do a podcast on Notion because people put it in order as it's an amazing it's based on a spreadsheet platform thing, but basically it's a way of organizing all your ideas. Um, we set as part of the content master web. I think person you did yours. And then I had like two of us say to me, how did she do that? I went, you got given the same details as she did. She just <laughs> made hers look amazing. And I do a couple of one-on-one sessions with people was going through how to set this up. But but I think like using something like that is powerful because you have got a brain that's just everywhere and finding a way to to bring it down and focus is really key for you, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think like I end up using Notion as kind of like my own personal Google. So I just, every time I have an idea and I... I struggle with this because I suffer from shiny new toy syndrome. I, it's, it's good to like say I suffer from it.
0: Yeah, I agree, <laughs> me too. It's, it's part of the healing process. Yes.
1: And so, you know, I try to, so at least this, is, this allows me to have a place to put all my ideas. Mm. And then I know that eventually I'll get to them. But it acts as like, yeah, so I really have all my setup done in motion, which I find really useful. And I try to always, um, yeah, like kind of block, my calendar to help me with the emails part Mm -hmm. and like I book in I think I do like an hour every fortnight which is in my calendar for media Um, because yeah that was one of my kind of core goals this year was to get 12 pieces of media coverage and that's only happened because it's kind of consistently in my calendar
0: that's clever I really like that idea I am actually I'm going to tell you a hack I haven't actually I was going to share this um I'll probably share that with, with the group in a few weeks time. But I've got this new hack. for. To- I'm always changing how I do my to-do list. But I've got a new one, which is at the end of the day, I send myself an email. That I'm not allowed to open the next or the next morning with my list of the things I need to do that day. And at the end of the day, I go through that, take off the stuff I didn't get to do, add that to the next day's email with a few other things and then send that to me that night to to be open the next morning and it's working really well for me because I'm like a respectable person I'm like okay this is the list I just write down a piece of paper do it check it off yes yes that's that is a good idea I like like the idea of like (laughs) It won't last forever. The cool thing about being ADHD is I have every technique you could possibly imagine for someone to try, <laughs> I've tried them all. Um, so, so if people want to know how to find Dolly Mama, besides what markets are you at?
1: First. So we are um, at the Parnell Farmers Market on a Saturday every Saturday we've that was one of the first markets we started and we've got this brilliant stall, which we think is very lucky so we go there every Saturday without right. fail and um, on a Sunday we're at the Greyland Farmers Market. Oh I like and- that place. Yes, it's very it's very posh. It is very and... posh.
0: Yeah, <laughs> nice. To
1: posh. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, it's got a brilliant. Actually, I love it because it's got a lovely playground and it's very kid friendly and things like that as well. Um, and yeah, and besides that, we will probably do a few other like extra Christmas markets, but those are like our two regular spots. Yeah. But we do ship across New Zealand as well.
0: Yeah, it's, and where do people get it online? So online, we're just on dollymama.com and it's M-U-M-M-A. Cool. And I've got a link to that in the show notes for people who want to get it. Plus I've linked to Purson's off uh, columns in the show notes too. So you can have a read of her beautiful writing. Uh, Purson, it's been a real pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to you, but thank you so much. And I, I think one of the things that I hope people have taken away from here too is just, I think we can become very androgynous in New Zealand around culture and different areas. And I think as business people too, there's a real opportunity for us to seek out and find new voices that can also, sometimes it's good for us, sometimes, like I like the way that men have sometimes gone, hey, this is an all male panel, I'll step back so a woman can come and be on here. And I would love to see that happening more with cultures in New Zealand too, of perhaps if you're asked to do something and you know there's an expert in another culture, if it's a cultural thing, to maybe step back and say, can we find a voice in that culture to do it would be amazing.
1: Mm, Yeah, that definitely would be. But
0: you know what I find amazing is that article
1: that I spoke to you about, the fake away one, that was a client who messaged me. And so I feel like that's that the message is like getting there, you know, that people are associating me because they were like, oh, you should write to this person and tell them why that is not butter chicken. (laughs) And I was like, or
0: even go, here's the fake away recipe, here's how I would do it. If I you know if I have to make butter chicken, this is how I would do it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And everyone out there, go and get some Donnie Mama. If you're in New Zealand, it's beautiful. You don't ship overseas, do you? Because it's, it's perishable. No, we don't ship no. currently. It's no, currently. in the too hard,
1: too hard basket for now. If you but want it's in arrange, my notion.
0: If you want to arrange a big overseas order to be stocked at your shop, I'm sure that person will be open to talking about it. Yes, we'll figure <laughs> that out then. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Thank you so much. And have a good rest of the day. Yes, thank you so much, Rachel. It's been a pleasure. Yay. Me too. I'm going to sound incredibly self-indulgent here, but I have to admit that one of my favorite parts of running the Mappet Marketing Podcast and hosting this and talking to you every week is I also get to talk to such amazing people who I find so inspiring. And Person's definitely one of those. Not only do I get to work with her as her coach, which is a tremendous privilege, I get to learn from her too. She challenges me all the time and reminds me to try new things that she's always coming to me and saying, have you thought about this for my business? And I think, whew. Oh, I might try that for myself. I want to just share a few things here. One of the things is like other businesses, I mentioned this before. Remember, you get to choose the size and the pace of growth and everything in your business, and whatever you decide is A OK. The second thing I want to cover with this is to be aware of our own cultural limitations or understandings and think about how this might impact the way we market, the way we talk to people, or the way that we let other people impact us with sharing their culture and how you could adapt that and use that in your own business. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd love it if you rated and reviewed it so that other people can trust it, or if you just share it with a friend and say, hey, have a listen to this. And for those of you that have enjoyed this podcast, I really hope that you come and check in next week's, or go and have a listen to some of our older episodes and find out more about some of the business owners and some of the marketing advice that I share in our weekly podcast on method marketing. Have a great week. If you love what you heard today, be sure to hit subscribe. And if you loved this episode in particular, I'd love it if you shared it on social media. Remember to tag me in so I can say thank you. Have a great week and we'll talk soon.